going to cut them in half for you down at the, the butcher shop or something there. And then I cut one in half to eat it. But I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And nobody here in Australia, and I hope, but I'm stuck. You have notebooks. I saw. I've given you, I'm going to give you an edge. I've got these. If you'll take one and pass the rest around. And uh, sometimes give me the, the main points of what I'm going to plan to discuss or talk about tonight. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something a little different than we did last year. Um, tonight I'm going to preach on five reasons that God called Barnabas a good man. Tomorrow morning in the first session I'm going to preach on another five reasons that God called Barnabas a good, uh, a good man. Then in the second session I'm going to preach on one of five more reasons why God called Barnabas a good man. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is a 15-point sermon. And if I advertised that, nobody would have come. So we broke it down into three five-pointers, and that helps us. Yes, sir? Yeah, I, I gave... Do you need one preacher? Here. I just walked out of the camera. That's a no-no. I'll tell you what I'll do. In, in uh, Acts chapter 11, let me read, beginning with verse number, oh, let's say 22. It says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. Notice what he said in this verse. That's really unusual because the Bible does say in Romans 3, there's none good. No, not one. But it says here, Barnabas, he was a good man. And by the way, that's not Paul speaking or Saul of Tarsus it would have been at that point. Uh, that's not even Luke, the writer of the book. That's the Holy Spirit pointing Barnabas out and saying he was a good man and full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. Then Barnabas, uh, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, they brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this great church and this dear man of God. Thank you for these men who've gathered to, uh, to fellowship and to, to enrich and be enriched. And I pray that you'd uh, do for us tonight, O oh God, what we're not able to do for ourselves and meet our needs. You know what they are in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, like I told you, I'm going to preach tonight. And I'm not sure I'd even call it preaching. Uh, it's more discussing, and I'm going to do the discussing. <laughs> if you feel if you feel generally moved to say Amen once in a while, that'd be perfectly all right. Uh, but, but tonight, now, I've got a, I've got an entire, and I've got it all right here in front of me. Fifth, you've got the main points in front of you. Fifteen reasons that God picked Barnabas out and made sure 
that he put in his word the statement, he was a good man. Uh, and that's, that's highly unusual. You know, we don't, we don't often think of it like this, but history is really nothing more than the story of men. That's what it is. You study, you study the good history books. You'll find it's one biography after another. But, of course, the biographers always reached out and took the best ones, you know, and put them in the books. But it, that's what makes up history. Now, you can go to the Bible. And really, uh, uh, as far as literature is concerned, it's, it's one autobiography after another. They're all incomplete. I mean, they don't tell the whole life, but it's one after another. And the only difference in this biography uh, is God uh, doesn't cover people's faults in his book. In fact, he goes out of his way seemingly sometimes to uncover them. Uh, but that's what the Bible is. Uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a, a list of bio, not a list it's it's a brief biography of a whole bunch of men and a whole bunch of generations one after another. Now the truth of the matter is, God is looking for men. You know, you often, I, you often think about Uncle Sam in front of a recruiting office. Uncle Sam, the Marines are looking for a few good men. God is looking for godly men. Godly men. And you'll find two or three times, at least in the Old Testament, where it says the eyes of the Lord looking for somebody who understands, looking for somebody who is willing. Uh, and um, and um, God intended for men to be spiritual leaders. You can go to Ephesians chapter 5. won't take the time to do it. Uh, and um, 1 Peter chapter 3. You'll find that God set it up. God chose that men should be the leaders of the home. Not because of any special quality a man has, but that's just been God's way. Uh, you go to uh, uh, Paul's epistle to Timothy. You'll find out God chose that men should be the leaders in the church. A pastor is to be, you know, is a man. Uh, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does God uh, ever point out or allow women to be lead. In fact, the Bible even says, and uh, we're not going to go into the ramifications, but the Bible even says that if a woman in the church even wants to learn something, she's ask her husband when he gets home. Say, what if, you, what if she ain't got one? Well, talk to a lady and ask her husband. <laughs> what I'm saying is God, God, God uh, specializes in that. Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy, I think it is, chapter 2. He said, Timothy, you pick out a few good, faithful men, and you teach them, and let them teach others. That's always been God's method. Now, that doesn't elevate manhood over womanhood, you know, like this. But it, that, that's God's program. God has an order in every segment of society. Uh, and God chooses to use men. God determined that men should be the leaders. The sad thing is, in our day especially, godly men are hard to find. I'm sorry, godly men. Godly men. You can find worldlings or shallow men, but godly men. Men who are well-balanced and Christ-like. Men of a spiritual mind. Hard to find. Very difficult to find. Uh, God looked down and he found one named Abraham. 
You know what he said about him? It's my friend. Wow. What a compliment from God. He's my friend. And God said, I can trust him. God looked down and found, uh, found a man named Job. And when the devil came to accuse Job, God said, it's the best one I've got. Best on the face of the earth. Uh, you can go to uh, many men in the Bible. David, far from perfect, but he had a heart that was after God. A man after God's own heart. You go to the New Testament. Who was it that Jesus said this about? The men that are born of women, never risen or greater than John the Baptist. You know what that, do you realize what that means? I mean, from Adam to Jesus, John was the greatest man that had ever lived. At least nobody had ever attained greater heights in God's eyes than him. Uh, Every now and again, I have occasion to have to have to talk. Uh, you like the way I put that? To uh, to some uh, uh, charismatic who was looking for miracles and a Benny Hinn type thing, you know. Uh, the fact is, the Bible says about John, the greatest man that ever lived up to his time, John did no miracle. God's not looking for a show. God's looking for men with a heart, godly men. That's what this. That's what this uh, men's advance thing is all about. Now, Romans chapter 3, uh, we won't take time to look it up, but in verses 10 to 13, you'll find what I call the four Protestant nuns. There's none righteous. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. What is there's another nun in there? Anyway, four of them. Uh, God sinned. God made it important to say that there, there's none good. However, if you look at the context, he's talking about in the realm of salvation. Compared to Jesus Christ, none of us are good. None of us ever could be good. However, when John said, or excuse me, when, Jesus, when God said about Barnabas, he was a good man. It's not in the context of salvation. It's in the context of Christian service. So some time ago, years ago, I developed this 15-point sermon, and I got the guts to preach the whole thing in one hour yet uh, anywhere. But the fact is, I found 15 things. You can go back to, uh, to uh, chapter 4 where Barnabas' life begins, at least the record in the Bible begins. And uh, you'll find, you know, you, it's interesting to pick out details out of a man's life and find out what was it. What was it if God said, hey, this is not the church saying he's a good man. Let's give him a certificate. This isn't his wife patting him on the back. This is not his dad saying, that's my boy. This is God saying, calling his name, putting it in Scripture, and for the whole world from that generation on to know he's a good man. In God's estimation, I mean, it's one thing, you know, we often, we preachers often recommend preacher friends to other preachers. So we say, he's a good man. Uh, that, and that's, that's not a bad thing. But, but when God says, he's a good man, you mark it down, there's something mighty special about that man. Uh, tonight, I want us to hit five of those 15 reasons why God called Barnabas 
a good man. And they're very practical. They're very practical. They're not theological at all. In the first place, look in chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. And by the way, the word Barnabas, the word bar in your New Testament means son of. When it says, when it talks about um, uh, a man named Bar Jonas, I mean son of Jonas. When it talks about a man named Bartholomew, means uh, the, the son of Tholomew. When it talks about Barnabas, it's saying his, his dad's name was N-A-B-A-S or some word similar to that. But it simply means son of. Uh, and it says here that Joseph by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted the son of consolation, which means encouragement, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Notice what it says. Having land, sold it, bought the money, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, without a doubt, you're familiar with the context. The church is young. The church has grown to multiplied tens of thousands from Acts chapter 2 till now, till this chapter. And persecution has set in in a mighty way. And at this point, it's not persecution by the Romans as much as it is persecution by the Jews, spearheaded by Saul of Tarsus. And uh, persecution on every side. Many, many in the church were losing their jobs. They couldn't pay their bills. They were losing their property. And they were, you know, food stamp recipients. And uh, the church decides to get together. And voluntarily, this is not communism. Voluntarily, it's charity. They decided as many as who wanted to could sell their lands or their property. And if they did, they didn't have to sell it. If they did, they didn't have to give any. If they did give some, they didn't have to give it all. It was purely voluntary. No communism about it. It's charity. Uh, and you know the story in chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira sold a parcel of land and wanted all the church to think I'm spiritual and put a little bit of the money in and allowed the people, allowed the pastor Peter to believe they put it all in. And in doing so, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Not by what they said near as much as by what they left unsaid. And you know the story. They dropped dead, of a heart. They dropped dead three hours apart at the pastor's feet. Now, the Bible, back up into chapter 4 again, the Bible says that Barnabas is one who sold his land. And he brought his money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, you know what that tells me about Barnabas? He was a giving man. A giving man. I don't know if you ever stopped to think about it, but I wonder how many times in the Bible it says God gave, God gave, God gave, God gave. I mean, John 3, 16, we all think of that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I give my life. I lay it out of my own accord. and take it up my own accord. I give. Um, what are the special abilities that the Holy Spirit um, equips the saints to carry on the work of the ministry? Gifts. 
spiritual gifts. And even one of those gifts is called the gift of giving. Well, that just indicates to me that, that uh, some people have a special knack for acquiring wealth and then spreading it amongst you know, those who need, especially in the church. And by the way, by the way, I've got to have this in our day. Your giving needs to be discriminate. You don't just give to every charity case comes along. I don't know how many people call us or sent to us, our church, sent there by the government or by the, um, by the uh, local ministerial union, whatever that is. Uh, and say, go to, go, to, go to Victory Baptist. They'll give to you over there. Truth of the matter is, our pastor is very discriminant about his giving. Doesn't the Bible say in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, if any man will not work, he shouldn't eat. Well, if we, if we went by that in our welfare system, there'd be a lot of skinny people running around this country, wouldn't there? It doesn't say if he can't work, it says if he will not work. That takes a little discrimination. So there is, there, the Bible does give guidelines for discriminate giving. But one thing that made Barnabas a good man was he was a giver. He was a giving man. I don't know if he had the spiritual gift of giving. I'm the focus on But he was a giver. And the Bible is pretty clear to point that out to us. I had a friend. He's, he's in heaven now. And uh, years ago, Years ago, my first time I ever came to our church. I don't know how much of this story I need to tell you or not. First time I ever came to our church, I got up. This is before I ever joined, three or four years before we moved here. It would have been 26 years ago. I got up behind the pulpit to preach. And I'd never met our pastor before. And I made this statement, open your Bibles to anywhere. It's all good if you have a King James. And I said, if you haven't got a King James, open a songbook. It's just as good. That's all I said about that issue. After the service, a tall, slender, gentlemanly-looking, cultured guy met me about three-fourths the way back in the aisle. And he had a big Bible under his arm like this. I couldn't see what it was then. Found out later it was an NIV. And he stopped me. He said, Brother Tully, what have you got against the NIV? You know, not knowing who he was, not knowing anything about whether he was somebody the pastor was trying to help or troublemaker. What was he? I don't know. So I, I said this. I said, you know, I don't believe I said anything about the NIV. He said, you didn't, but I know you don't like it. What you got against it? By that time, a half a dozen or more people had gathered around there. They were looking for a fight. So I said to him, I called him by his first name, Roger. I said, let me ask you a question. Are you looking for an argument? Or do you want to learn? If you're looking for an argument, I don't have time. People back there want to shake hands. If you're looking to learn, I'll give you a couple of minutes. I said, I want to learn. So we went through the textual issue, why one is and one is not, and so on. And I seemed to satisfy him. After that, but he didn't get rid of his NIV. Not then. After that, he came to me and he, uh, what was the next time I was there? Six months later. And he handed me an envelope. And in that envelope was an American Express credit card. Uh, this, this guy's a businessman. He was, uh, he was uh, over a, well, he started a, 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 a um, software company to veterinarians. And um, 
He said, I want you to use this in your travels. He said, you can't abuse it. Just use it. I went to the preacher and I said, I don't know what to do. I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but I don't want to insult the guy either. What do you suggest? Well, he said, he's not a member here. He just goes here. But he said, uh, I put $50 worth of gas in it a month and see what he says. So I did. Six months later, he called me back in the back and he said, Brother Tully, he said, let me see that card. So I took that card and he laid it on the table. And with three fingers, he slid it across the table like that and said, that's all you got to do. He said, you're not using the card. He said, I don't want to see receipts. And I don't know anyway. I never see one piece of paper, you know, sign a receipt and throw your side away. And he said, if you need, I was going to the Philippines then almost every year. He said, if you need it to go to the Philippines, get your plane ticket with it. Just, you know. Well, then it compounded. And if I, if I wasn't using it to his satisfaction, he'd come to me and say, you're not using that card. You've got to use it. And when I'd hug his neck and, and, and thank him, he'd say, well, Tully, this gives my business a reason to exist. I could go on and on and on. I, I've owned four town cars. His family has provided every one of them for me, including the one I'm driving tonight. He's been with the Lord now for a long time. And even every year, that family donates heavily to our ministry. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying the man was very wrong in some areas of his life. By the way, before he went to be with the Lord, he showed me a Bible and he said, look here, I'm using the King James. I said, good, Rog, why? He said, I'm tired of fighting with you guys about it. That's why. <laughs> I said, well, you know, wrong reason, but right decision. I can live with that. But anyway, he, uh, he, he uh, when I think of people who had probably what would be called the spiritual gift of giving, that might be a classic example. But I do know this. God looked out and saw Barnabas and saw that he was a giving man. He was concerned about the needs of others. One selfish, not a selfish bone in his body. And he said, he's a good man. He's a giving man. Notice what else? Something else about him. Uh, second thing I noticed about him is also in chapter 4 and verse 36. It says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which, being interpreted, is the son of consolation. What's consolation? It's encouragement. Barnabas was an encourager. You know, I've, I've heard hundreds of preachers, without a doubt, preach over the years, maybe thousands of times. There are some that are just, has he even have a special knack every time you hear them? You're encouraged. There's one preacher. He's a man in our church, David Bourne. He, he, is, he, he used to work for R.B. Ouellette and some other well-known preachers. And then he pastored. Now his health is not that good, and it's improved since he's been in our church. He lives at Missionary Acres over there, and he's, he's got cellulitis real bad in his legs. He teaches in our Bible college. Uh, every time, David Bourne doesn't get up behind the pulpit to preach. He's got to keep walking to keep his legs working, moving all the time. And um, he's not a loud preacher. He's not a boisterous preacher. He's really very quiet. He's got a lot of humor in his sermons. But he's the kind of guy that it doesn't matter what he preaches on. It doesn't matter what his subject is. 
when you leave, you are encouraged. He's the kind of guy that um, after he's preached, you don't even know it. You don't even know that you're injured until you look down at your feet and see blood. I mean, he's the kind of guy who can walk around behind you and do surgery, and you don't even know it. He just got a knack for encouragement. Some people are like that. Understand that. But even if you and I are not, there's no reason we all can't encourage. I have a preacher friend in Jim Tedder in Shelbyville, Tennessee. He's like that. I mean, I don't know. I've heard him preach twice. He's not, you know, he's, he's a dynamic preacher. But man, you get around him, you can't help but be encouraged. Some people just seem to have a knack for doing it. But there's no reason that every one of us can't work on it. Remember when Saul of Tarsus got saved? You remember, you, you lived back then. Remember when Saul of Tarsus got saved and, and then when he left Damascus and he went back to Jerusalem and he tried to join the church, but they wouldn't let him. They said, we heard about this guy. We sent him from here to Damascus to kill, you, to kill Christians. Now he wants to join. We'll trust him. Who was it? Who was it that came up to him, put his arm around him and said, take him in, fellas. He's one of us. Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager. His name means the son of encouragement. God said he's a giving man. And he, he encourages others. Hey, you know, I don't know why we ever got the idea that Baptists are supposed to go around killing everybody. You know, a lot of times, I'm sorry, but a lot of times, and we probably don't fight sin near as hard as we should, but sometimes it's difficult. We don't make a distinction between sin and the sinner. Encouragement. Encouragement. Uh, and that was Barnabas. He was an encourager. Notice something else about Barnabas. He was a servant in the local church. Um. In, in chapter 4, what's he doing in chapter 4? Four? Four, uh, uh, sent on a mission by the church to carry money to poor people. He's serving the church. What is he doing in chapter 13? I mean, who was it who was Paul's first missionary companion sent out by the church in Antioch? Barnabas. Barnabas was a servant of in the local church. He became Saul's helper, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. Barnabas had a knack for serving others. First he served the church in Jerusalem. Then when he was sent out by the church in Antioch, he served that church. And even when there came a rift between Paul and Barnabas, you say, preacher, they often ask me, who was wrong in that riff over John Mark? Well, I'll just answer it so you don't have to ask me. Both of them were. Uh, you're a good Baptist. Blame somebody. Both of them were. Divide up your blame between the two. But even after the split, and by the way, they had a split that created, made one missionary team into two missionary teams, two different directions. Not a bad deal, was it? Uh, but Barnabas, he was a giver. He was an encourager. He was a servant in the local church. Go to chapter 13 and verse number 1. In chapters 1 through uh, 8, 
The headquarters is Jerusalem. The main spokesman is Peter, the apostle to the Jews. And the emphasis is on Jews getting saved. Probably on the day of Pentecost. Then from chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, and 12, there's a transition made. Now once you get to 13, the headquarters of the church is in Antioch. And it's a Gentile church. And the main spokesman is the Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle to the Gentiles. And from then on, the main target for the gospel is the, is the Gentiles, the Gentile church. Look at, what, look at this crowd of servants in the local church. Verse 1. Now that we're in the church, I was in Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as, first one name, Barnabas. He was a good man. Simeon, that was called Niger. He was a black man. That's what the word Niger means. And Lucius of Cyrene. Uh, Luke, Lucius, that's a Gentile name. He's a Gentile. And look at this one, Manan. And how what does it do to describe him? He's brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That's the one that Jesus said to him. He's the one that killed uh, uh, John the Baptist. He's the one that Jesus said to him, said about him, he's a fox. He's a fox. Now here's Manan brought up with Herod. One turns out for the devil, one turns out for God. I wonder what the difference was in their life. I mean, I know it was God, but I wonder what the difference was. But notice, out of that crowd of special servants in the headquarter church, first one mentioned, Barnabas. Barnabas was a servant in the local church. And I tell people this everywhere I go. God never called anybody to sit on our big, big fat, dead fundamentalism and do nothing. There's something everybody can do. So some people say, well, I just can't say. So not everybody should. Not, and we didn't find that out tonight. Not everybody should. Uh, but there's something. There's something every member can do. Servant of the local church. And certainly Jesus was a servant. We're not much like Jesus if we're not servants. Then notice the fourth thing about him. Go to chapter 11 for this one. When, when, who, when he, Barnabas, came and had seen the grace of God, what are the next two words? Chapter 11, verse 23. Next two words are, was glad. You know what that tells me about him? He's a happy man. He's a happy man. I don't suppose it's that much today, but there was a day when, I don't know, the, the, the sentiment seemed to be if you smiled or told a joke or laughed, you weren't spiritual. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where they got the idea that once you're saved, you've got to go around with a face so long you can stick it out of a two-story window and use it for a fire escape. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says God gave us all good things to, what's the word? Enjoy. Enjoy. Do you know the only people in the world who have a right to be enthusiastic are God's people? Have you ever noticed, I, I thought about this the other day, we sing all the time songs about where we're going when we die. The unsaved never sing songs about where they're going. You know, one way or the other. Um, but the fact is, it says that Saul was a happy man. Uh, the word enthusiasm, you trace it back in its etymology all the way to its roots. You'll find it's made of two Greek words, E-N-N, -N, 
There's a preposition which means in. Enthusiasm comes from the root word theos, which means what? God. The original root word enthusiasm meant in God. It was a word the unsaved tagged on us because we were so joyful and happy. They're in God. They're enthusiastic. That's where the word came from. Hey, what does the Bible say about it? Listen to Proverbs 15, 13. A merry heart gives a cheerful countenance. Have people say to me, well, preacher, he's joyful, he's happy. He just don't show it on his face. Somebody ought to tell his face then. Because it says there a merry heart produces a joyful countenance. That doesn't mean you have to walk around with a Chester cat grin all the time. Sometimes you ought to take that Chester, that smile button, turn it upside down, roll up your sleeves and go to battle. But it does mean that we can have joy. And I know there's a difference between joy and happiness technically. I understand that. Listen to Proverbs 17, 22. Now, merry heart, that's laughter, gladness, makes like a what? Tell me, nurse. A merry heart makes like a medicine. Medicine. By the way, it didn't say it didn't say laughter is is a, or merry heart is good food. You can't live on it. But it is good medicine. It's a good healer. Good. Why do you think that the doctor loves to see this man visit the hospital five, six, seven in the morning? long before visiting us, and they say nothing to him about it. Why? Because they know that he's going to go in and encourage the sick person, probably pray with them. And they know that, that if you can get a person thinking right, you know, the right attitude, the right spirit, that'll go a long way to aid the healing process. And then that guy gets out of the hospital, goes home, he says, oh, that doctor is such a good doctor, and he pays his bill and makes the doctor happy. What did Jesus say? John 15 11. He said, these things, the Bible, I, I, I spoke to them that was spoken, that's just written, unto you, so that my joy, his joy is perfect, might remain in you, and yours fill up to the top, bubble over, and somebody else get a little. Now Barnabas was a happy man. He was a happy man. Uh, I, have a, I have a sermon that I preach. I've preached it in ages on um, God's way to advance good health. There are some principles in the Bible that you and I will follow. And one of them uh, that, that, that will aid in our being as healthy as God wants us to be. Uh, and, what I, and I'm not talking about Old Testament laws. I'm talking about principles. Um, one of them is this principle. A merry heart makes like medicine. So Barnabas was a giving man. God said he's a good man. Barnabas was an encourager. God said he's a good man. Barnabas was a servant in the local church. God said he's a good man. Barnabas was a happy man. God said he's a good man. Notice one other thing. We'll go to number five, then we'll stop. Barnabas was spiritually focused. Now that tells me that he walked with God. Uh, I think I preached on this the last time I was here. 
Only two people in the Bible where it says he walked with God, names the person that says he walked with God. First one is Enoch. You know the story? He's 65 years old. His wife had a little boy. And, uh, then, after the little boy was born, he walked with God. And the very next statement says he's still walking with God. 300 years later, 300 years later, still walking with God. Uh, the, the second man, and, and God took him. Bible says, without dying because it pleased the Lord. Second man is Noah. Enoch's, what would it be, great-grandson, I think. Well, it says in Genesis 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and it says Noah walked with God, but in Genesis 9, he gets drunk. Uh, I hate drunkenness as much as you are, but I'm not going to criticize Noah too awful much. Now, that's the first instance in all of human history, certainly in the Bible, of anybody getting drunk. It's not as though he got up one morning and said, Honey, I, or one night, and said, I, I, I'm going down to Joe's Bar and Grill. I'm going to get snuckered. I'll get a taxi home. Probably didn't even know what he was doing. But he ended up drunk, causing his son, Ham, to commit a sin. Brought some great consequence. But the fact is, uh, from then on, you won't find another thing in the Bible about the life of Noah. You'll find him mentioned. Like Jesus mentioned him, you're talking about the last days, the tribulation period specifically. Uh, but but uh, uh, those only two that we know of that where the Bible says, names them and says he walked with God. Uh, here, it does tell me that he was spiritually focused. Look at chapter 11, verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And what did he do? He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave to the Lord. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 3 and verse 2. He said, set your affection. Now we think of affection as kissing and holding hands. Well, don't worry. We're not having any demonstrations. But the, the Bible word for affection literally means interest. Um, it, it, it means... Um, uh, let's see, I've got it written down here somewhere if I can just find it through a cataract. Um, it, it has to do with interest. Now, the Bible says set your interest, so it's your choice. You're interested in what you're interested in because you chose to be interested in that. You love what you love because you chose to love that. Love, you know, fall in love. That's like fall. We talk about falling in love. You don't fall in love. You get it on purpose. Well, there might be a little allurement here and there, but you get it on purpose. Uh, but the fact is, the Bible says we are to set. That's a voluntary action. Your, don't worry about somebody else's. Take care of yours, your affection, your interest on things above, not on things there. You know what worldliness is? You know, we used to think if you go to the movies, you dance, you listen to rock music, you play cards, and blah, blah, blah. We'd go through, you know, it, it was sort of, when we were growing up, it was sort of, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't date the girls that do. And that makes me non-worldly. No, that's not true. Worldly, you, hey, hey, you can, you, can, you can do everything just right mechanically and be worldly. Worldliness is you're, you, 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 you're more attached to this life than you are the next. That's worldliness. Be not conformed 
to this world. They'll be transformed. Now, here's a man who, uh, who uh, exhorted them because he was already in that condition to cleave to the Lord. Got him. Want to save him for breakfast tomorrow? <laughs> Uh, it was spiritually focused. And God looked down and saw these characters about Barnabas, characteristics. So he's a good man. Man. Mm. What if you, what would it take for God to look down at you or me and say the same thing? You're not just a man. I mean, after he'd made a big deal about there's none good, no, not one, all of our righteousness, even the best we can produce, our righteousness, like a filthy rag. And I, I understand the context. We discussed that already, but he said about Barnabas, only one in the Bible ever said this about. He's a good man and full of faith. And he didn't say he's a good man because he's full of faith and the Holy Ghost, although that enters into it. He said he's a good man. He looked down and he saw a giving man. How about you and me? Are we giving men or do we hoard? Uh, do you realize God never gave you and me anything that intended for us to keep? Everything God ever gave us, he intended to go through us to bless others. You and I, we are not, we are not reservoirs. We're channels. That's all. That's the reason for Luke, Luke, I think it's 1136 or something like that. You can look it up later. Given it shall be given to you. God said you keep giving to others and God will see to it that others give to you. God intends for you and me to be reservoirs. Giving man. He was an encourager. And it, what was the last time? Just out of the clear blue for, with no, no motivation. You went up to someone and put your arm on them. God loved him and prayed for you. Man, if I could turn back the clock and start that a lot earlier in life, I'd do it. This is an encourager, good man. What about being a servant in the local church? I don't think there's any question. These are probably the servants in the local churches, the respective local churches. What about happy man? A guy called me up. I was sitting there at Walmart. It was the pastor at Shelbyville, Tennessee. The, 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 I'll close with this story. The, the guy who used to direct that camp meeting, the moderator, started that camp meeting. He was known as Mr. Camp Meeting of America. He just had that personality about him. I don't. This pastor called me up. Steve Freeman, the other guy, was dying of cancer. It's on his deathbed. The pastor called me and said, we want you to moderate the meeting. I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, Brother Tully, we want you to moderate. I said, no, you don't. He said, we've been praying about it. We want you to. I said, no, you don't. He said, why not? I said, I'm a grouch. I'll turn that camp meeting into a cramp meeting. They don't want that. Well, he said, Steve's on his deathbed. And I said to him, who should we get? Take your place. He said, get Brother Tully. So I said this. I said, well, I'll tell you what, Brother Jim. I'll do it one time on one condition. He said, what's that? I said, when it's all over, you take the blame. I'm leaving time anyway. He said, we'll do it. So uh, we did it, and uh, I've had the time in my life doing it ever since. But you know, the fact is, we've got to be encouragers. 
man, in this day especially, it's not going to get any better. A lady at the motel was asking, why is she heard about that shootout down there? Why is our country getting like this? I said, Jesus said it would. She said, you mean revelation? Is full bit. I said, to a degree, yeah. And I told her, I said, I don't mean to be a discourager, but it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse until Jesus comes. And I said, if you're saved, when Jesus comes, you're out of here. And uh, she said a few more words, and I left. But the fact is, we've, we've got to encourage one another. The world's not going to do it. We have got to. We have got to. Uh, and we've got to show people that we're happy and we're, we're joyful. We've got something to be happy about. And uh, we've got to be spiritually focused. We must. It's got to be God first. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There is no half Lord, 95% Lord. Lord means he's Lord of all. Why call you me Lord, Lord? Do not the things that I say. Well, let's stop there. And in the first session tomorrow, if you and I are out of bed by then, what time is breakfast, preacher? Breakfast at 8 o'clock. Bring your own Fruit Loops? No. Oh, man. Oh, doggy. Mm. I wonder if there's anything about him being a good man because he's a fat man. <laughs> I, I qualify already, but I'll really qualify after tomorrow's breakfast. All right, God bless you. I appreciate your kind attention. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be your children and call you Father. Help us, oh God, to be the men we ought to be, godly men, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher.